Thank you. Bearded Keith. Smooth Keith gave way to Scruffy Keith, and Scruffy Keith gave way to Bearded Keith. I like them all, but I especially like Bearded Keith. Good morning. morning. (laughs) Sorry, I just had a little conversation with Keith there. (laughs) How are (laughs) you? It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Um, We're biting off a big chunk today, so just buckle in, I guess. That's all I can tell you. We're doing Acts 13 and 14. I wanted to keep this missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas together, so we are covering two chapters. 14 is a shorter chapter, so that's why I'm going to pretend I can get away with it. Um, But if you want to turn there in your Bibles or on your devices, it's also in the worship guide, and you can see that Justin had to do a couple extra pages for us because it is a little bit longer, or you can read along on the screen. Lots of options, and I'm just going to ask you to track with me. Um, I think there's good stuff for us to see in these two chapters. And so I'm going to pray for us and ask that God will do during this time what only he can do. And if you'll be praying that too, that this wouldn't just be uh, me standing up here and reading and us talking about what we see, and it wouldn't just be human ideas and human thoughts, and especially not just my ideas or my thoughts, but that the Spirit of God would teach during this time, and that he would teach our hearts, and he would be at work in us, shaping us into his people and building us into his church. And so that's what we're going to pray And then I'm going to read these two chapters, and I know it is a little bit longer, but as you track along with me, to to simplify it and also to focus it in the right way, that one question that we're always asking is the first and foundational question. What's this teach us about God? So be listening for that. We'll talk through that some. I've got a few things written down here that that I've seen this week that I'll share with us towards the end. And then we'll ask, what's God saying to our hearts? How's this apply to us? How's he want to work in us? And we'll pray again and ask him to do that in us. So that's where we're headed, if you'll pray with me right now. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that by your grace, you have called us to yourself and you have joined us and placed us in this body as your people and your church and that when we gather right now, that we're doing what you've already done for us. So thank you that we get to be here together to study your word and the Bible together. And thank you for the promise that your spirit is the master teacher who reminds us and guides us into all truth. And so I ask that he will do that right now. That you will teach us by your spirit, from your word, as only you can. We need you to do it. We are dependent on you to do it. We trust you to do it. And we trust you to do it because of Jesus. Because of his life, death, and resurrection. And so we come in Jesus' name and we ask you to do all this right now. Amen. All right, Acts 13, starting in verse 1. What's this teach us about God? Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. 
But Elimus the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he's spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by, everyone, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. 
Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, "'Stand upright on your feet.'" And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, They tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra 
and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. All right. You hung with me. What's that teach us about God? You get plenty of time to think while I scroll back up here. And I know you may need a minute to look through it because it was a lot. What stands out to you this morning? God calls his people out by name. You're right here. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. What else stands out to you? I have a great conviction that I'm an immortal till my work is done. That, uh, that was the Lottie Moon quote. She was a missionary to China. Um, down here with Paul. Let's see if I can get down there. They stone him. They think he's dead. What I love is he gets up and goes right back into the city, <laughs> like where they've just stoned him. And I think that is this, this great conviction, confidence, faith of God has called me to do this. And if there's something else he intends for me to do, they can't stop me with rocks. If, if he's done using me, then it's okay for me to die and go to heaven. I mean, I, I feel like that is what you see right here. The truth about God you want to pull out of that? How about <laughs> God will see you through until the work he has for you is done. If God calls you to do it, He will provide and protect you. And by the way, this doesn't mean no harm comes. This doesn't mean things aren't hard. It means he sees you through the hard things. He's with you in the hard things. He's bigger than the hard things. He's stronger than the hard things. He's greater than the hard things. 
What else? Any other truths about God that stand out to you? The kingdom of God. is entered through many tribulations. Last week in chapter 12, we spent quite a bit of time contrasting Jesus as king with Herod as king and seeing how different of a king Jesus is from any other human worldly king. And the fact that Jesus is such a different king than your normal, typical human kings also is because Jesus' kingdom is so different from a human kingdom. And part of it is that the kingdom of God is not just the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God is going to swallow up all the kingdoms of this world. But the way that kingdoms are set up, set up and advanced and they rise and fall in this world looks nothing like the way that God does things in his kingdom. And one of the things about God's kingdom is that it is counter to this world and counter to the natural way of doing things in this world. And part of what comes with that is suffering in this world. That, that we have a king who saved us through suffering, through death, not by coming and initially asserting his power in a way where he conquered, but by laying down his life, by giving up his power, giving up his life. And then out of death being resurrected, and we see him conquering even death and sin and hell and all things in the spiritual realms, but that there is a, there is a, a theme or a thread in the kingdom of God of sacrifice and laying down and suffering and the entering into God's kingdom is a laying down of our life and our way of doing things and our plan and our agenda and our flesh and our strength and our resources and our wisdom that all that and all that feels like death because it is death but it's death for the purpose of real life death for the purpose of resurrection and the only way to enter into the kingdom of God is a death of self so that the Spirit of Christ comes to live in us. Somebody else was talking right there too, another truth about God. <laughs> God has a long-range plan. It made me smile because it's like long-range. Uh-oh. So long that the battery didn't last, right? Long range. And like when I mean long range, I mean all of human history long. <laughs> In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve disobey God, don't trust God. They believe that this fruit's going to be better for them than God is. And sin enters the world and poisons all of God's creation. And God shows up in Genesis 3 and he makes a promise. I'm going to set this right. I'm going to send some one of your descendants is going to crush the head of the snake. And I'm going to redeem all this, and I'm going to restore you. There is someone coming. And literally all of history is God keeping that promise. And right here, when Paul and Barnabas are traveling around the known world and telling people about Jesus, they're saying Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God made at the beginning of human history. God's been working out this promise. And when you and I sit here today, is God keeping this promise to restore his people to himself? Like a long-range plan. It is kind of funny when you think about how often in churches we've formed our long-range planning committees. And we talk about the next five years or the next ten years. 
Um, God thinks that's like this. But yeah, God has a long-range plan, and he's working it out. He's keeping it in ways we wouldn't imagine. What else stands out to you, other truths about God? God uses, and there's lots of words here, like his community of believers, you know, which is the church, which is the body. You know, it's other believers. This is why we need to be in community, in relationship. He uses his community of believers to encourage each other to continue in the faith. And one of the things that stands out even is that Paul and Barnabas are traveling around to these cities, speaking the gospel for the very first time, seeing people come to faith in Jesus. They're starting churches there, and then they're leaving and going to other places. But then they circle back around to all of them. And I, just, I think like a really simple application for us is to see the difference between having people make decisions versus making disciples. That for Paul and Barnabas, it wasn't, hey, we got a one-time decision there, let's move on. It was, no, the point is to make disciples who follow Jesus for the rest of the week. We've got to check back in with them. We've got to see how, we've got to encourage them. We've got to help them continue to grow. Like following Jesus is not a one-time decision that you make once upon a time and you're done. Like it's a rest of your life decision that you're making. And, and there's room to grow and learn and keep growing and keep learning. And, and trusting in Jesus is something that has to grow stronger and stronger over time. So they circle back and then we get the rest of the New Testament because Paul's writing letters to these churches, staying in touch with them. And then he keeps sending other people. Like, hey, I'm going to send Titus to you. I'm going to send Timothy to you. you know, here comes Barnabas. Here comes Luke. Because people are going to come and keep pouring into you, keep investing. Because it's not enough for us that once upon a time you said you trusted Jesus. Are you trusting Jesus? Are you growing in your faith? We're not trying to just get people to make decisions so we can count them and report a number. We want to make disciples because that's what Jesus called us to. And there is a difference in those two things. And the way that God has us make disciples is in community, in relationships, that that we're getting to know each other and we're invested in each other's lives and we are speaking the gospel into each other's lives all the time. That every single day, whatever you're going through, the gospel is the answer. That the grace of God, the love of God, the fact that God has flipped everything on its head with Jesus. Like it's all the opposite of what your flesh thinks and what the world thinks. And we need to be reminded of that over and over and over. And the fact that God has done that redefines everything in your life and my life. And we have to constantly keep telling each other that and reminding each other that and encouraging each other to grow in that. And so he uses us being in community, in relationship, constantly speaking the gospel to each other, reminding each other, pointing each other to Jesus to make disciples. What else stands out to you? Don't stand between God and his people. What part made you say that in this section? Yeah. Don't stand between God and his people. And so Paul's sharing the gospel with his proconsul. Yeah, I gotta get back up one more chapter. 
give myself lots of scrolling today. Paul speaking the word of God to the proconsul. This magician is opposing them, trying to turn him away from the faith. Paul rebukes him. And it's interesting to me, I don't know if this struck any of you, but the way that Paul decides to handle him, you'll be blind and able to see the sun for a time. You know anybody else who's had that happen to them when they've been directly opposing the church? <laughs> Paul's been through this himself, right? Like on the way to Damascus to arrest Christians and throw them in prison, this is what Jesus did. And so I think even in this, you do, like, I think you hear here <laughs> Paul saying, hey, uh, this is me, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villain, villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Like, this is what I did, and this is what Jesus did to save me out of it. And I even see in a little bit, like, maybe this will get your attention the way that Jesus got my attention. Like, maybe once you become blind and know you're blind, you'll finally see Jesus, because that's what it took for me. I thought I could see until Jesus finally showed me how blind I really was, and then I could finally see Jesus. Um, but yeah, we do see, you know, you could flesh this out a lot of different ways, how serious God is about people hearing the gospel, how serious God is about his word, how significant is, how committed he is both to his word and to his people. That nothing's going to stand in the way of him saying, this is who I am, this is what I've done in Jesus, and I want you to know it. What else stands out to you? Somebody else was saying something right then, I think. Yeah. Yeah, even the way that, that Luke phrases all this, like we already saw up here, like it starts with the Word of God. There's a miracle here in the middle, like a blinding miracle. And then down here, the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. Like he sees it and he's like, oh, like, yes, this is, but look why. For, here's the root, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Like it's the teaching that actually reaches into his heart and, and stirs up awe and amazement. Like the miracle is this external manifestation. He's like, hey, what they're saying is really true. But this thing that's true is the thing that really changes him. Do you see that there? That, that's why like, I really believe when we come together in here and we pray at the beginning, like, that's not just some ritual or routine that we go through like, mindlessly or habitually or in an empty fashion, but that the most significantly powerful, supernatural, and spiritual things that can happen in your life and in mine, in your heart and in mine, comes from God taking his word and doing a work in us. And you see it right here. Like he changes his heart with the teaching of the Lord. Not, not just some flashy, showy miracle, but that Paul was already speaking the truth of the gospel and telling him about Jesus. And that's why he was ready to respond. Like the, the word was the thing preparing him to respond to the miracle, and then the word was the thing driving it home at the end. What else stands out to you? What makes you say that? Yeah. 
flip back down here again to Paul getting stoned. What Tyson said was, if you're in right relationship with God, God is the most important thing. And even more, God is the only thing. And what he's saying there is, with Paul, that what we see driving him here is, God has called me to do this. God has given me this mission. God has given me his spirit for this purpose. And that's the only thing that's going to determine how I live my life. Like their response doesn't matter. The danger, doesn't, in one sense, doesn't matter. Like when they respond positively, Paul keeps speaking the gospel. When they respond negatively, Paul keeps speaking the gospel. When his life's threatened, Paul keeps speaking the gospel. Like the only thing, God being the only thing, the only thing that's going to determine how I live is God. Like who he is, what he's promised, what he has given, what he's doing, that he will be the only determining factor in my life. Now, all of us struggle to live this way at different times, right? Any moment that we're not living by faith, any moment that we're falling back into the flesh instead of living by the Spirit, it's not going to look like this. But when we are living by the Spirit of God who lives in us, by faith in Jesus, this is what it looks like. That who God is, what God has said, what God is doing, that determines everything in our whole life. And the thing Tyson pointed out here was even like Paul, that this didn't become, look what they did to me, now I've got a, an agenda against them. Like even the, like they're trying to kill him, and he doesn't get up and operate. Like first of all, we've already talked about he doesn't operate out of fear because he's focused on God and not on the danger, not on his fear. But he also doesn't operate out of bitterness or vengefulness. He doesn't seek revenge. And you know, like you know how much of that was in Paul, right? He was a vicious, violent persecutor of the church before he came to know Jesus. Like in his natural tendencies, it's in him to go back into this city and really like throw down on some people. Right? He has a past where his response would be very different than what he does right here. Instead, he gets back up and he says, I'm going to keep talking about Jesus here and everywhere else I go. The, the thing that defines Paul's life has greatly, radically, completely changed because he encountered Jesus. What else stands out to you? Truths about God. Jesus came as God's solution. And by that we mean forgiveness for the sins of humanity. You know, and we get on this missionary journey, we get all these different locations that Paul goes, but Luke just gives us the one sermon and that's what makes chapter 13 so much longer than 14. But you can understand that the content of this sermon is what Paul's saying everywhere he goes. Like Luke zeroes in on one stop. It's like, here's what Paul was declaring to them everywhere he went. 
And obviously this message, he takes the whole Testament. Let's see if I can back up here far enough. Just read along with me for just a minute. Still not far enough. There we go. Almost there. All right. So he's in the Jewish synagogue talking to the Jews who would know the Old Testament really, really well. It's their whole Bible. And he says, let's start at the beginning. God chose Israel. He made them great while they were slaves in Egypt. They grew into this huge group of people. He delivered them by the power of his uplifted arm. For 40 years, even though they weren't faithful in the wilderness, he preserved them, protected them, provided for them till he drove out seven nations in Canaan. He gave them that land as their own, turned them into a nation. Talk about a long-range plan. You know, that's 450 years just for that part. Then he gave them judges to lead them and to rescue them when they were disobedient over and over and over. He gave them Samuel. He gives them Saul. He removes Saul. He raises up David to be king. Then he makes these promises to David. And like that's Old Testament history right there from Abraham to David is probably a thousand years. And he says that entire thousand years of history, all that is about this. He brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Like, it's all about Jesus, and it's all about God keeping his promise, and God keeps his promises in Jesus. And then he comes to the New Testament. He's like, and he sent John the Baptist in advance to tell you that Jesus was coming. You all didn't realize that God was doing exactly what he said he would do. And so the Jews in Jerusalem condemned Jesus, which was still fulfilling the prophecies of God. Like even their sin against Jesus and their disobedience couldn't undo the work of God, the word of God, and the promises of God. So they condemned him, found him worthy of death, even though he didn't deserve to die. He wasn't guilty of death. Took him off the cross, laid him in the tomb, but... God raised him from the dead. He appeared. We're now his witnesses. And we bring to you this good news, this gospel. That's what that word means. That what God promised, the very thing God promised, he has fulfilled by raising Jesus. That Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises. And just as you trace through that there, what I want you to hear is that the, the content of Paul's entire message was Jesus. The whole testament pointing to Jesus. The whole testament fulfilled in Jesus. All the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus. All the work of God being brought about in Jesus. And everywhere he went, this is what he was saying. Whether he's in a Jewish synagogue or out in the world with the Gentiles, it was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When they responded in faith and believed, he urged them to keep following Jesus. When they didn't believe, when they stoned him, when they ran him out of a city, he kept talking about Jesus. Like it was always Jesus. Jesus came as God's solution, as God's answer, and he offers forgiveness of sin for the sins of humanity. What else stands out to you? One more truth about God, and then we'll move to application. If you've got one more. All right, examine your heart. What's God saying to you right now? If all these things are true about God and how he works, Something for you, something for us as a church. Anything else you want to say? Because you know I'm going to start talking here in a minute and it'll be your last chance.
so straight out of Tyson's truth a minute ago is God continually chose how he is most important in my life. This is what you're asking when you're asking God to give you a pure heart, like a heart that desires him and it's not mixed with other things, but that everything in you is driven by your desire for him. Anything else that God's saying to your heart right now? Mm. Yeah, like if we see that God calls people out, are you listening? Are we willing, and I'm asking this probably as a transition to where I think we're supposed to go right now, to do what God clearly says? And we'll go back up to the very beginning today. And notice, they're worshiping the Lord and fasting. There's something already going on where they are in a position where they're ready to hear from God. Like a position of worship, which is right relationship with God, knowing that God's greater than I am. God deserves praise and thanksgiving. God deserves worship. I'm looking up to him in worship, in a posture where I'm below him, humble before him, ready to hear from him. And then fasting is this expression of longing, like I want to hear from God. Like I didn't just walk in to this church service that day and just accidentally stumble in and hear from God. They said, we want to hear from God. Like there, there are things that we're intentionally doing in our life because we desire God more. I would rather hear from God than have food today. That's what fasting's saying. God, speak to us because we need you more than we need food even. And so they are listening. They want to hear. And then God speaks. And so what do they do? They fast and pray, but continuing to express this dependence on God. Okay, God. Hey, God, we've got one, two, three, four, five teachers at this really new church in Antioch. Right? This is a young church, just got started maybe just months ago, we got five teachers, and you just ask us to get rid of two of them. That's 40% of our teaching team. What's going to happen to us? I mean, isn't that the way we react today? What they do is they say, God, we're depending on you. You said from the go, we're sending them. You've made it clear. You've made it clear that the goal of any local church isn't for us to hoard as much for ourselves right here as we can. The goal of every local church is to send whoever you call to make disciples to the ends of the earth. Jesus said it as clearly as possible. Are we willing to do what God clearly says? And so a couple applications for us as a church that some of just so you know that we're working on it right now, um, and then some of it, just to challenge us to be praying in this direction. We see here these five teachers. I just want you to notice multiple teachers in the New Testament church. Not one personality, not one central figure, not one person who was just extremely charismatic or extremely gifted because it wasn't about that person. 
It was about the Word of God. If it's about one person, it's about Jesus. And the fact that you couldn't focus on any one person here was telling you it's not about any one of these people. It is about Jesus and his gospel and his word. And so just so you know, one of the things that we're doing right now, I got to, this past week I got to meet with a group of five guys from our church, um, and we are texting through, studying through 1 Thessalonians together. And in a couple of months, they're each going to take a week, and they're going to teach through 1 Thessalonians for us. Because it is not healthy for me, and it's not healthy for you, for me to be up here all the time. Like, not if we want to look like what the Bible says we should look like. like. I am not the only voice that you need to hear right up here. It's just, it's too dangerous. It's too dangerous in our culture. It's too dangerous in our church culture. And it's just ignoring what the Bible, the, the Bible clearly, every time you see it, whether it's in Jerusalem or Antioch or any of the letters Paul writes, they always have multiple teachers and multiple elders and multiple leaders in the church so that it doesn't depend all on one person. And so we're working right now just on... I'm being more deliberate and intentional about having a teaching team. And probably we'll, we'll cycle through that a few times a year and just make sure that you're hearing other voices. Now, I know when you read on down later, Paul's the chief speaker. That's great. That's fine. I may teach more than any other person in this particular setting, like if you were just to count it all up. Fine. But it does not need to be one person all the time, biblically. It's the first reason because we just see it right here in the Bible. So we're working on that. I can't wait. Like, we had a great time studying the first couple of chapters of 1 Thessalonians. Though, then I can't wait for you to hear what God's already saying to people. And my hope is that that five over time turns into 25. And that 25 turns into 125. For, for January, it's going to be five. Um, and, and I'm excited about that. I feel like we're doing exactly what we see in the New Testament. And that ties directly into the second thing. Here's what we, I think we see. Sending the best... For Jesus' kingdom. I don't know why that keeps doing that this morning. Sorry about that. Kingdom instead of hoarding them for our kingdom. I mean, you realize what we've seen so far in the book of Acts, and what we see for the rest of the book. You know who Paul is? <laughs> he ends up writing half the New Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament. He writes 13 of them. And Barnabas, Barnabas is the guy that's responsible for Paul even being here. <laughs> right? I mean, when God's saying, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, it's not like, hey, yeah, you got a, you got a lot of extra stuff, and you know, they're not doing that much anyway. Like, these are heavy hitters as far as teaching in the church. And it's just this reminder of you don't own them. They don't belong to you. They're not here to build a kingdom in Antioch in this local church. They belong to the kingdom. And God calls his people and he moves his people. And our job is to send and to send the best. That we, aren't, we are not trying to build a kingdom here for us that looks really impressive for us. Jesus is building a kingdom to the ends of the earth. And that's why, listen, start, start community groups and Bible study groups. And if you want to start house churches on your front porch, do it. And we will celebrate it and we will love it. And we will give you every resource and all the help we can to say, here's how, here's how we think that God would have us do this. And if you never, ever walk in this door and you're reaching people out there, it'll be the greatest thing that ever happened to this church. I promise you, like I promise you, this is what it looks like. 
And we are not going to say, no, stay here, because what's going to happen here if you don't show up next week? We're going to say, go, go with our blessing. We lay our hands on you. We pray for you. What's it take for you to go? Make disciples to the ends of the earth. And we see like, the difference between sending the best for Jesus' kingdom versus hoarding everything for our kingdom is the exact same difference we saw between Jesus and Herod last week. Right? Herod wanted to build his own kingdom and exalt himself. And Herod's dead, and his kingdom's done, and it doesn't matter. And I promise you, if we build our own kingdom and try to exalt ourselves, there's a day coming when we die, and our kingdom won't matter. Like, what we do here won't matter. But if you will go, if you will do what Jesus has called us to do, if we will send and we will embrace this and we will say the stuff that happens beyond here to the ends of the earth, that's why we exist here is for all that. It'll matter forever. Like it will be what Jesus' kingdom really is. I was talking to somebody uh, this week about that contrast between Jesus and, and Herod, and he pointed out one that I hadn't seen yet. I didn't say it last week, because I wanted I'm right now like, just to see again how much better Jesus' way is than the world's way. He pointed out that when Peter gets set free from prison there in chapter 12, that all those guards that were supposed to keep him in prison get in trouble, and they end up dying. Right? They were doing their job. Just an angel showed up and miraculously, supernaturally delivered Peter, but Herod kills them even though they were doing their job. That's what it looks like in the world's kingdom. They did their job and Herod kills them anyway. Here's what it looks like in Jesus' kingdom. You and I have not done our job. And Jesus saves us anyway. That's the type of king he is. Herod kills people when they have done their job. Jesus saves people when they haven't done their job. Which kind of king do you want to follow? Who do you want to listen to? Who do you want to believe? Like Jesus has told us what this looks like. Will we do what he said? Are we listening? Multiply, multiply, multiply. Take what he pours into you today and pour it into somebody else this week. Pray and fast and ask him to open these doors. Ask him to give you these opportunities. Ask him to soften your heart so that you're actually listening and you hear him and to give you the type of boldness. Look, I'm not asking you right now to go get rocks thrown at you. If you do, so be it. I'm just asking you to open your mouth and say to somebody, can we read a chapter of the Bible together and see what it teaches us about God? That's all. And to believe that the Spirit of God and the Word of God are enough for the people of God. And so the other thing that happens here, when we have multiple teachers in the church, the church is ready to send. Because, yeah, Paul and Barnabas, they're gone now. And that's, that's a big blow if you're trying to build a kingdom here. Now, if you're trying to build the kingdom there, this is what you do. It makes sense. But also notice this. The church at Antioch, they've still got Simeon, they've still got Lucius, and they've still got Manan, Right? When you build it all around one person, one person goes, what do we do now? When it's all around Jesus and Jesus never leaves, you're okay. When the Word of God is central and you always have the Word of God, you're okay. And when you got five teachers saying, hey, we're going to have multiple leaders here and multiple teachers because, first of all, Jesus is the only one. 
And nobody can be him, so we need more than just him. And also, it's just healthy for us to hear these different voices because God is revealing different things to each of us. And it's healthy for the church to be in a position where we're not afraid and going to hoard our leaders, but we're ready to send them whenever God speaks. And when we do, we've got other people who've been trained and raised up and discipled who step in and keep being what God calls the church to be. Like, this just makes sense. And we don't do it this way because we don't listen to Jesus about what he says his church should be like. And so I want us to do that, to listen to Jesus about what he says his church should be. Like if you're leading a community group, be training somebody else to lead a community group. If you're studying your Bible, be teaching somebody else how to study the Bible with you. If you're teaching in any area, on any level, pour yourself into somebody else and multiply and reproduce spiritually. That stood out to me. The third thing, we've already covered this, but it was this. The gospel... And by the gospel, I mean Jesus, like the message of Jesus, is always our message, no matter the response. Paul shows up, and he tells people the truth about Jesus, and they're all really interested, and they say, come back next week, and so Paul keeps talking about Jesus. Paul shows up and tells people about Jesus and they hate it and they stir up riots in the city and they oppose him and run him out of the city and he keeps telling people about Jesus. Paul shows up and tells people about Jesus and some of them believe and some of them don't and he keeps telling people about Jesus. Paul shows up and tells them about Jesus and they throw rocks at him and he gets back up and he tells them about Jesus. Like we're not, we're not taking a vote on this. We're not checking to see how's this going to be received. We're not trying to package this in a way where it's more palatable to the world. Jesus is the only message. The only message. And when it looks like it works and people are responding, we don't say, okay, we've got to build on this momentum. What do we do now? There's nothing else we do now. We keep talking about Jesus. And when it looks like it doesn't work and nobody's responding and people are opposed to it and people are all worked up, we keep talking about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Jesus is the whole message that God has been saying from the very beginning until now. There's nothing else for us to say. Everything he's done, he's done in Jesus. All of our hope is in Jesus. Jesus is our message, and Jesus is our only message. And then this last thing that stood out to me. Missions. And by missions, I mean this going into the world, and especially crossing cultures and going internationally to other countries. Missions is the mission of God for his church. Like you see it here in the calling out of Barnabas and Saul. He's saying, yeah, I know things are going well here at Antioch, but that's not the whole goal. The goals, the ends of the earth. Like Jesus has made it clear. Matthew 28, the last thing before he goes up into heaven. Go and make disciples of all nations. Acts 1.8, where we started. You will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He has made it so clear that this has been the mission from the very beginning. And think about with Antioch. Think about why this happens the way that it happens. Two weeks ago, I told you that we had some foreshadowing in chapter 11. The gospel starts in Jerusalem with the Jews and it takes some real supernatural work of God 
to, to bust them out of Jerusalem, first of all. He uses persecution to do that. And then to bust them out of all their religious traditions where he's saying, no, I'm doing this with the Gentiles too. It's not just for you. It's for all people. Jesus came for all people. And so after God's done that, a couple weeks ago in chapter 11, we got to this section that says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So we've got them out of Jerusalem, finally. God used persecution to do that. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. So we got them out of Jerusalem, but we don't have them out of the fact that they're still just speaking to Jews. But for the very first time, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to where? Antioch. Spoke not to the Jews, but to the Hellenists, the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And so here's what happened in chapter 11. For the very first time, a few people, we don't know their names, just some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, came to Antioch and said, we're going to do what Jesus actually said. Jesus said, ends of the earth. Jesus said, all nations. Jesus said, all people. We're going to, this gospel is for everyone. And so they speak in Antioch about Jesus. Now, two chapters later, here's where we are the church at Antioch. One of the reasons why this church is willing to send Barnabas and Saul, I really believe this, when you know Barnabas and Saul were really valuable to this church, is because it was in their DNA from the very beginning. The only reason that we have this gospel is because someone else came to us and gave us this gospel. How can we not send people to give this same gospel to other people? The, the mission movement that changes the entire world, the first mission team launched out of the church in the history of the world happens because a few people dared to get outside of their religious traditions and say, we're going to obey Jesus and we're going to speak the gospel to Greeks in Antioch. And a church started in Antioch and out of that church in Antioch, God said, I'm going to take two of your leaders and I'm going to reach the whole known world. And the thing is that that doesn't start with Antioch and it doesn't start with the men who spoke the gospel in Antioch. The same thing happens all the way back to you get back to this is what Jesus did for you and me. He came to you when you weren't looking for him. He came to you when you had turned your back on him. He came to you when you could never, ever deserve him. And he gave you a gospel that you desperately needed but could never earn. Like Jesus left heaven and the glory of God and his rightful place as God the Son, and he came down to earth. Like you talk about missions, cross cultural missions. Like it's the heart of the gospel, Jesus coming to us. And so some of these men in Cyprus and Cyrene, it clicked for them. I was so unlike Jesus. I was a wretched sinner and he was the holy son of God and he left his place and he came to me and he gave me a gospel I could never deserve. So yes, when I look at these Greeks and these Gentiles who are so unlike me, of course I would go to them and give them a gospel they can never deserve. It's, it's who Jesus is. It's what he's done. And so then these people in Antioch, when they say, God wants to take our leaders and send them to people far away from us who don't deserve it, of course we'll send them. It's who Jesus is. It's what he's done. 
Who are the outcasts in your life? Who are the people who are far from God? Who are the people that everybody else would write off? Who are the people that nobody wants to get too close to because they just don't look like us? Will you take the gospel to them? Will you take Jesus to them? Will you leave here today and say, this, this is not the main part of my religion this week. This is not the main part of following Jesus this week. This is the launching pad for what God actually wants to do through me this week. It's who Jesus is and he lives in you. This is what Jesus does and he lives in you. This is what his church looks like. This is how he's building his church. See who Jesus is. See what his kingdom is like. See how different it is from the kingdoms of the world. See how different he is as a king. And then please, let's not build a kingdom right here that looks like everything else out there. Let's die to our kingdom. Let's ask him to build his kingdom. Let's listen to what he says. And let's trust him and let's do whatever he says. And let's see if he doesn't just turn the world upside down the way he has promised. Some nameless men believed him and they spoke the gospel in Antioch. And a church was born. And that church believed him and they released their best to go out into the world. And the whole world was reached with the gospel. That's how it happened. That's how they didn't have to hoard and keep because they believed that Jesus didn't hoard and keep for himself. He was giving them everything he promised. And so they could let go of it all. I pray that we'll see Jesus that way. I pray that we'll believe Jesus that way. And if you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, I, I just don't know if I can do that, I want to take you back to what we see over and over and over. They were worshiping together. They were fasting. They were praying Maybe the honest confession when you examine your heart this morning is, my heart's not there yet. I don't, like when, when I come to church, here's what I want. I, I want this comfortable place where once a week I can come and feel good about the fact that I'm still doing what I'm supposed to do and, and, and you know, I can check off the religious box and it makes me feel better. And, and this is, this is, like, I'm content with this. This is all I want. Okay. Confess that today. Just confess to Jesus. That's all. Just confess to Jesus. My heart doesn't match what you say in your word. Will you start changing my heart? Just in prayer, I'm just going to ask you, will you start changing my heart? And this week, fast. Skip one, skip one lunch this week. And just say, God, I need you more than I need this meal. And this is me asking you to do this in me. And do this in our church. Will you pray that way for our church? Will you fast that way for our church? for a work of God, for a move of God, starting in our hearts and then exploding into his world. And so we're going to pray for that right now. We're going to pray together and ask God to do what only he can do. And then Keith is going to come and the worship team and lead us in one more song. Um, i got a couple of things to share with you after we pray, but I want to pray right now, so let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the truth of your word. Help us to believe it. Build your church in a way that looks like your church and not ours and not what we would do and not what we would make it look like and not what it, we think that it usually looks like. But I pray that we wouldn't look anywhere else but simply to you and your word and do a work in our hearts, Father. Work in our hearts by your spirit so that our hearts match your call. Help us to listen and to hear you. And Father, shout, 
tell us. Tell us what you want us to do, who you want us to be, where you want us to go, what you want it to look like in this local body as your church. And please keep building your church. We believe you. We know that you keep all of your promises and we trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of exciting things as we get ready to worship that you can thank God for just us getting to be the church and, and it looking like what it looks like in the book of Acts. I asked you a couple of weeks ago to be thinking about how God would have you give because we knew a, a family in the church that was in need financially. And I just want to let you know that so far you've given just specifically to that, you know, in addition to what you give regularly, uh, over $5,300 for that family. And that's a huge deal. Um, so thank you. Thank you that when we see that in the book of Acts, it always says that great grace was upon them. And great grace moved you to give to people who needed it. And I wanted to thank you for that. And then also, secondly, kind of related in terms of generosity and giving, but connected today that we see that missions is the mission of God for his church. Um, there was a family that has children in our children's ministry that came up with this idea, and then we hijacked it from them, like just stole it. And we're like, no, you're not doing that. We're going to do it as a church. Um, but our children, in an attempt to raise funds for missions, specifically for missions in December, have started creating art, like drawings, pictures, and stuff. And we're going to have an art show the first two weeks of December, just out here hanging up all out in the lobby. And you can buy our kids' artwork, and all the money is going to go toward purchasing Bibles. And specifically, we've partnered with um, Faith and Miguel, some missionary friends that I introduced you to a few months ago, from Peru, and so we're going to be buying Spanish Bibles for them. Their ministry's been growing a lot, and they've got lots of new kids who don't have a Bible, don't have access to a Bible, and all that's hard for us to imagine. But everything that we get um, from that kids' art show is going to go directly to them to buy Bibles in Peru, Spanish Bibles, and give to these kids that they're reaching uh, with the gospel. And so I just wanted you to know about that, that that'll be coming up in a few weeks, and it'll be another opportunity both for us to give generously, but also to support missions and say, we, we do believe this is what God's calling us to do. This is what it looks like to ends of the earth and, and all nations. Um, and so thank you for the way you've given the past couple of weeks. And then uh, thank you. I know that you're going to do the same thing again in a few weeks, and, and I'm excited about it. And we're going to thank God right now that he's working in our hearts in that way. So if you want to stand and sing with us.